Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the call. 10 stocks picked by you, two expert guests, all over the course of one hour. And it's great to be here with you again. I'm Nadine Blaney. Look, I'm on the show today. It's a Friday, so we've got Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital here with us. Luke, uh, we had a chat briefly. Uh, was it this? No, it was last week. I'm sure it was last week. Just about yeah. some of those four C's. Were the ones trickling in this week a little, a little touch and go? Yeah, sort of last week of the month is where the you know the the, the rougher ones come out. Nadine, um, look, I must admit, uh, I didn't come away from this quarterly reporting season, you know, with any fantastic ideas or, or throwing dozens of companies onto the watch list for further research. But when I dig did dig through them. Um, one thing I noticed, and I commented to some other investors in that micro small cap space as well, was you can really tell that tone shift has happened for these businesses. Um, you know, a lot of businesses that were previously burning um, quite large amounts of cash, um, you know, may not have pivoted to, to strong cash flow generation, but the focus is clearly on getting there. And, and I think that will now start to provide some interesting opportunities because it takes time. You know, it's it's tough um, for businesses to, to pivot that quickly. So you give management teams, you know, four, six, maybe eight quarters over a couple of years and, and consider we started this process back in 2022. So I think you're starting to see some interesting opportunities, but as for the actual results coming out, yeah, last week wasn't the prettiest of the ones. Uh, usually um, good news travels fast and bad news not so much. All right, uh, Claude, um, when you look around small cap, micro cap land and you see, you know, the S&P ASX 200 hitting an all-time record high this week, does it give you hope, optimism? Uh, definitely. It's, it's always nice to see uh, the... Uh, money flowing back into the growth sector and the higher price stocks that uh, benefit from uh, lower interest rates, of course. The reason I say it's nice to see that is because that's where uh, I've chosen to uh, focus my investing throughout the course of my career. Now, I think that we all have our biases. They can be good or bad. Some people would think that, you know, doing the popular stocks is always bad. I, I don't think that. So, um. I'm all about growth stocks all the way through my portfolio. There's There are a few sections of my portfolio that are different kind of thesis, but that, that's what it's all about for me. So I enjoy it in the bull times, but of course, you know, you know, life is a wheel, the good times pass away and so and so do the bad. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, speaking of growth, look, we've got Wise Tech Global in this program. We have ProMedicus coming up in the next half hour, Lark Distilling, Ipernux, and Peer Profile. <laughs> so we'll see which ones maybe are still going for growth. But I think it brings us nicely, thank you very much, Claude, to our stocks of the day. Look, I thought I'd throw these, these guys a bit of a curveball and ask them, to comment on some of the U.S. mega tech caps that reported in the U.S. through the overnight period. So that would be, of course, Meta 
Apple, and Amazon. So we know that MetaShares really marched higher in extended trade, hitting a record high in just about 10 minutes. It actually put on equivalent to $110 billion in market cap. I mean, we, we just can't even really compare here, can we? It's going to be paying its shareholders a dividend. First ever 50 cents per share. Apple beat on sales and profit thanks to the iPhone, but China was the weak spot. And iPad sales down significantly in the market, not treating that one so kindly in after hours trade. Atlassian, so the good old Aussie story, also reported um, shares lower in after hours trade, net loss of nearly 85 million US dollars. Sales were up 21%, but does the market care when you're still posting lots? And then Amazon, it beat fourth quarter revenue expectations. Looks like everything is growing for Amazon ads, um, sales, AWS revenue rose 14% to $170 billion again beating the street. So what do our expert guests make of those big mega tech earnings? And I don't ask you guys just to be flippant. You know, really, if you are interested in growth companies, if you're interested in returns, when you think about valuations a lot, which I know you both do, like Luke, should an Aussie investor have exposure to one couple of these mega cap US stocks? Oh, for sure, Nadine. And, and I would probably do that through like a NASDAQ or an S&P 500 ETF. I, I probably wouldn't go looking to, to pick one or two of them directly. But um, look, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, and you're right, like Claude and I, we're, we're primarily ASX small micro cap investors. Um, but funny enough, this morning, a fellow investor sent me an email and said, I know this is not your space, but check out the Facebook slash meta results. I, was, I actually did that this morning before our emails went around. Um, and it's pretty remarkable. I mean, you know, these are businesses, trillion dollar businesses now, in the case of Apple, Microsoft and, and the other giants, um, still growing you know, 25 to 30, 40 percent. Um, but I think what really sets it apart is it's the leverage that they're seeing over that. So, so take Facebook, which is one I did look at a bit closer, 25% revenue growth, but an 8% decline in their cost base. So you're achieving really strong growth, like billion, you know, billions and billions of dollars in growth and actually taking costs away from your bottom line. Um, and of course, that opens up the insane profitability that we saw in the market responding strongly. Now, compare that to Atlassian, which again, I, I must admit, I didn't look at that result in, in depth. But to your point that you made, um, there's other businesses that are showing growth, which is fantastic, but having to spend to get that growth. And of course, the market's not really rewarding that. So look, I think what you're looking at at this point in time for, for Google, Amazon, Facebook, um, maybe Apple, not so much, but those first three um, probably went a little bit crazy in that 2021 period with investments and headcount and They've made some you know, well-reported adjustments to their cost base. But I think what's probably caught the market by surprise is the strength of the business is still being able to grow even, if, even as they've done that. So, look, it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to fault these behemoths. Um, and I think where they sort of set themselves apart from businesses of the past is they are truly global. I mean, uh, these are no longer just American businesses dominating an American index. They're, they're, they're global businesses um, and still have plenty of growth potential in front of them because they are so capital light in the way they operate as well. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, it's not the, it's not the target primarily where the 
capital. But yes, I do agree with you. If you are a you know more passive investor, you need exposure to these businesses. These will be the businesses that are around for the next 10, 20, and you know, however many decades into the future. Yeah, because that's the thing, Claude, is that if you think about pure AI, pure chip technology, you know, a lot of the cloud computing stuff, we have sort of derivatives that we can invest in as far as derivatives of that may, you know, that major theme. But, you know, we're, we're, we're lacking, arguably, you know, any really direct way to play on some of those thematics, those key themes or big way to, what do you think? Yeah, I, I definitely think that it's slim pickings on those big themes on the ASX, that's for sure. Uh, in terms of the the broader question about should Australian investors have exposure to these kind of companies? Yes, I think so. I I actually don't own any of the, the ones that we're specifically talking about in terms of uh, Meta, Apple, uh, Atlassian, uh, and um Amazon, but I do own shares in in Google's been a holding for, for me for many years that I've been continuing to add to over the years. Um, and I own shares in another US tech company called CrowdStrike, which is again a sort of platform for cybersecurity. And I think that that's going to be become increasingly relevant and they seem to have good technology there. So I do have um, exposure to those. I, I think also for some people, it might be more appropriate to just own the ETF as Luke suggested. Uh, but yeah, overall, it, I think that the real theme here with those all of these big companies is, are we moving towards a world where actually they're these sort of oligopoly of extremely powerful uh, sort of uh, enterprise software companies or some kind of tech companies that run some crucial part of our economy or, or system of society? And they are just becoming, and do these, one sort of perform little oligopolies where there are maximum kind of two in a space and, and they become very powerful and of course then have pricing power and stuff like that are we moving in a world more in that direction if so then you definitely definitely want to own some of these big beer moths so i'm not against any of those ones at all um at, at this moment in time you know atlassian's probably the one i have owned before of of those ones i also like apple because it has uh, the ecosystem effect with with people using its software and equipment. So I could definitely see myself being a shareholder of Apple. In terms of Meta, it's not one that I've I've been on myself. It, it's not actually my preferred. I know it's the it's the stock of the moment right now, but that's partly just because it's been in in the doghouse previously in a couple of years, so it's recovering from that. So uh, all of them great companies though, and invest and investment worthy and and totally considerable uh, for someone's greater portfolio. Okay. Uh, just because so many yeah. people are looking at it, I don't, I don't put all my time in trying to um, get an edge in any of those companies. All right. Well, um, look, I might ask you guys sort of if we've got time at the end of the program, if there's, you know, a, a company that you're loving right now, maybe in relation to any recent news. But I do need to crack on with it because we've got our, our very dedicated viewers watching and no doubt getting a bit hot under the collar. David has written in about, okay, so here we go, about a relatively big tech company for the Aussie market, right? Wise Tech Global, WTC, it's been doing well. Uh, Claude, what's your view on Wise Tech? So I think that the most relevant prism with which to view uh, Wise Tech as one of the, is as one of these very few number of genuine uh, software companies on, that operate on the ASX that genuinely do have a niche where they're a world-class company. And Wise Tech is one of those. And uh, actually, of that of that cohort, which all trade at fairly high PE multiples, 
um, of that cohort, I probably think that Wisetech is is my least favorite of that group, just because it is more reliant on acquisitions. So, for example, uh, it has a higher PE ratio than uh, Altium, which I own shares in, which is also a high quality software enterprise growth stock on the ASX. And yet, um, you know, Altium is less, I would argue, less reliant on acquisitions to grow than Wisetech is. And I, and I prefer that model. So I wouldn't bet against Wisetech at all. So you could call it a hold. Mm-hmm. I think what it benefits from is just being one of these few number of genuine software global propositions on the ASX. That then enjoys a huge amount of flows from uh, tech-focused investing on the ASX, essentially. And uh, the you know, superannuation system constantly pop- pumping money into the stock market plus you know, indexing, there are only a few of these that are in the ASX 200. So I wouldn't bet against it. Uh, at the same time, it's my, it's not really my favorite of the, that group. Okay. Um, Luke, what do you think about WiseTech? Buy, hold, sell. Um, I'd be a hold for me too, Nadine. And I think I agree with Claude. It's more on that scarcity premium. Like I, I, I agree with him. It's probably, you know, we'll talk about ProMedicus next and, and Claude brought up Altium as well. If you were to throw those three together, I would have ProMedicus and Altium ahead of WiseTech from a quality point of view, but it's it's right up there. And, and there's just not many of them on the ASX. So, you know, local investors are forced to pay up to get access to them. Um, and WiseTech, of course, very liquid with Richard White owning, I think about half of the shares. Um, so it's expensive. I generally agree with Claude, though, um, that, um, you know, it's it's not as high quality as those two. A little bit more tied to um, global sort of GDP as well with that that shipping and logistics software that they do. Some of it, some of the pricing is done on volumes and, and things like that. Um, M&A, obviously, um, historically has been a big driver of, of the business. But to be fair to them, they've leveraged quite well over that the last couple of years without any significant M&A. Um, so hold for me. That, that valuation is just... It's too too steep. It's it's about 113 times earnings, so it's it's really hard to step in and say buy. Um, but I think you hold it if you're there, just given the scarcity premium. Thank you guys. So that's a hold for WiseTech Global, Pro Medicus. Um, look, I was just going to. I meant to get up a comment that came from one of our guests in relation to Pro Medicus, and that is um, Claude's a legend. Got me into ProMedicus at $23, or $26, apologies, still holding. So I think Alan, um, separate from that tweet that came through from uh, Mark, uh, wanting to know, I guess, an updated view from you guys on ProMedicus. And Claude, we'll start with you. Yeah, right. So this is a stock that I own. I've owned it uh, constantly since I bought it at about 86 cents. I recommended it officially at a first at $1.50. I made it a Best Buy now more than any other stock when I was advisor for Motley Fool Hidden Gems, and I've continued to hold it. Unfortunately, despite my great decision of of buying it, I've made some terrible decisions along the way, which was like constantly selling. Um, you know, I guess at a certain point in time, a few years ago, I had my first child. I felt you know, insecure financially and out of that fear of wanting to lock in profits, I, I sold quite a few of my original holding. So I have hardly played it perfectly, having had, you know, the luckiest thing ever happened to me. And um, I mentioned all this because I am now just a bundle of biases about this. You know, I've been selling ProMedica stock a, f- a few times and it's like now it feels like those decisions, it feels like touching a hot stove. So I'm, it's very hard for me. I'm probably never going to say I would sell it, basically. I'd never sell out completely because every time I've even sold some shares, it's felt like I've burnt myself. So 
Uh, I'm a bundle of biases. It obviously does have a lot of expectations, but this is goes down to your whole philosophy as investor. My, I have chosen to have a bias in my investing towards high quality businesses. Now we can unpack what does high quality businesses mean. That's probably a whole different discussion, but um, I believe on any reasonable view of it, Promedicus is, is the top highest quality business on the ASX. And I've believed that for many years now. So every time what has, despite my wanting to lock it in, I've been looking at it and saying, well, this is the highest quality business on ASX. So I want it to be around about my biggest holding or, or one of my bigger holdings. And uh, basically that is the philosophy that has kept me in this stock, even though based on, you know, it always 144 times earnings, you know, it's it's got... There's always been people saying it's overvalued the whole way up, and they might well be right, but that is why I continue to hold it, and I will be happily continuing to hold it. Um, and if it ever sells off massively and, and halves from here, then I probably buy shares. Uh, but for now, I'm just going to be holding it. You know, no plans to sell anymore. I've I've hit that painful button too many times. Okay, Luke Prometicus, can you buy it now? Um, I'd, I'd struggle, Nadine. Um, you, look, it, it's hard to come to a rational valuation at the business today. Like you have to take a very long-term view. Now, to be fair to the business and the management team, you can do that with quite a lot of confidence. They are winning long-term contracts with well-established healthcare providers, primarily in the US. Um, you know, you just go through their ASX announcements, you'll see seven, 10-year contracts. Um, they re- they renew them, they don't really churn away. They often expand with with um, customers over time. So from that point of view, I, I, I completely understand why the market is happy to look out, you know, I, I think somewhere in the order of five to 10 years for this business before you get to a a, you know what you'd call a reasonable valuation um, so from that point of view look I think you're paying today for so much execution could something go wrong yeah of course I it's, it's hard to see that happening just given the execution and the space in which they play the, mm-hmm. you know it's quite steady in that healthcare that healthcare spend they are so established and dominant in their specific niche um, maybe the only potential you see is that is they are trying to you know leverage AI and, and expand into new areas but again like I think that core business is so solid that they're at the point now where they can afford to, to, to maybe look at, at, at some new areas and new avenues of growth um, and they've got so much growth already banked in to what they're doing so um like wise tech it's a hold that scarcity premiums there um i agree with claude that if you're looking at the business today it's hard for me to sit here and say you would you would hold it or buy it but when you factor in that that qualitative analysis of the market and the psychology of the market and why people would want to own this stock over others it's so hard to tell people to sell or even take profit. So I agree with Claude there. So let's say a hold for the program, but completely agree with everything Claude said. And when you look at the numbers, I agree. I, I think it's hard to find a, a better business than ProMedicus. Thank you. Let's go to the third stock Nadine, on the list. Nadine, oh, yeah, Claude? If I may, I just want to add and hook into what you said before. I actually think ProMedicus is the one of the most credible possibilities on the ASX for a company that will in some way benefit from AI. They've been talking about this long-term plan since well before AI, you know, got suddenly cool. And it makes sense that their viewer could end up being a platform on which other people's AI uh, algorithms run. And if so, that could be a great way to make a profit from that trend. Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Claude. Lock distilling, shall we? LRK, this is for Tucker. Hi, Tucker. Information only. This is not financial advice. Lark distilling, I just looked it up. Shares are down by 40% over the past year. 
Uh, Luke, deep value? Uh, maybe. Look, I'll say a sell for the program, Nadine. Um, I'll try and keep it quick just looking at the time. Um, so if you go back to 2021, let's put the corporate drama and stuff to the side. We all know what mm-hmm. happened there. But when the stock had a good run back in 2021, yes, there was market exuberance in the in the broader market. But what really got the market excited about Lark was they were growing what they called net sales value per litre, which is, you know, for every litre of whiskey they sold, they were earning more and more revenue. And it was a sign of that pricing power really coming through and the potential for, for Lark as a brand to you know, shift up into that really ultra premium whiskey. Uh, and, then, and then what that does is as you're increasing your net sales value per litre for the stuff you're selling today and establishing that brand and establishing that premium price point, everything you've got maturating in the background is worth more because you're applying your label over the top to something that's just sitting in barrels. Now, I haven't looked at Lark for a little bit. It hasn't come up for a while. And when I went back and looked today, obviously some management turnover and some business issues. But the main thing that stuck out to me is they're no longer reporting that net sales value per litre. And to me, that's the biggest red flag I see here. The, The thesis around this business is you're building a premium brand and a premium product. And the only way to know that as investors is to see it come through in that increase mental leader that's being sold, being sold at higher price points. So whenever you see management take away a reporting metric, it's usually not a very good sign. Um, to your point, very well could be deep value here. They've got hard assets. You know, there, there is whiskey in barrels. They own land, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, for, for the right person who can do a big, bit more digging than what I've done into it, there could be something there. But for, for the business today and what I think the thesis was the last time I looked at it, this is a sell for me until you get a better sign that that premium branding is really coming through. Uh, Claude? I know Friday's your day to have a drink. I'm looking forward to mine this afternoon as well. Uh, I don't know if you're a whiskey man. However, would Lark Distillery Definitely in any... not a whiskey man. <laughs> yeah. would, it, would it appeal in any way? Uh, no, not definitely not as a drink, but uh, that's just me. No, as a company, it also doesn't appeal. And I'll explain why in my rationale. So I think that... Uh, Luke, you know, gave a great rundown there. And I do think that in a simple sense, it just got overhyped a couple of years ago. And one of the problems with these kind of companies is that they end up just holding a lot of the value that they're creating in the form of whiskey. And on a very basic uh, atavistic level, as an investor, I'm very much like, no, I don't want the value in whiskey. I want it in cash. So it's actually the kind of company, this is just the kind of business that I would only even consider looking at if it was like a free cash flow generating dividend yielding business that I could say, all right, that's how I'm going to value it. Like the, that, that cash that it's actually sending out to me, I'm not really interested in the story. And I, yeah, Luke, Luke gave a good rundown of the nuance of it, but at the, at the end of the day, it's just a, not a very good quality business. It's everything like not what I look for. As we've just been discussing, it's about investment philosophy. I am looking for something that is capital light with a, a big possibility to reinvest at high rates of returns. This kind of capital business where you're making stuff and you have to continue operating costs and have all these experts making the business. It's an absolute whiskey op- opposite of what I'm looking for. So it would be a high barrier. I want to buy this on like a 7% dividend yield. So not, no chance. Mm, no chance. All right, let's get to the fourth stock on the list. I'm just not going to go into my usual to explain what it is. IPX is the ticker code being picked by Joyce saying, I wonder 
if being a developer of low-carbon, sustainable, critical material supply chains could have a significant role to play in the EV industry. She reckons they've got a couple of grants from the U.S. Department of Defense, which sounds like a positive recognition of the product. She also notes that the chairman exec director has been buying a substantial amount of shares on market since last November. So Joyce has put thought into this one. But does this fall into your sort of story stock sort of category, Claude? Yes, exactly. So I think that's the right framework that you uh, want to be using for this kind of business at its sort of startup kind of stage where, um, you know, its website is all about welcome to the titanium age, very sort of futuristic kind of stuff. And also, I think the thematic that they're trying to hook into is nearshoring of uh, titanium production in the US. And they've looked, they've recently, I thought this was interesting, they've recently raised shares uh, the raised capital, sorry. And I think at the time it might've been at a mild premium. Yeah, it was actually at a premium to the um, the five-day VWAP and, and a slight discount to the 30-day VWAP But uh, when they did it. So it was sort of a strong uh, capital raising. And I think there's a few elements there that gives them some funding, which might help the story go on and all that sort of stuff. So from that pure story stock framework, because it's not really, there's not enough there for me to value it in any kind of serious, serious way. So... Ultimately, uh, that's how I'd view it. You'd, you'd, you'd be looking at purely as a uh, sort of your sentiment trading. The receipts from customers in the last quarter was 52,000 US dollars. Uh, the net cash outflow on operating in the last uh, six months implies about uh, 4 million US dollar outflow a quarter. Plus there's, there's going to be other costs on top of that mm. in terms of CapEx. So it's absolutely financially, I could not give you a value on this. I definitely couldn't say it justifies the current share price uh, there. Obviously, there's a story that says that their their opportunities are worth a whole bunch that um, I may or may. I'm ambivalent on the story. There's no way of me um, verifying it or not. And I wouldn't try to. It's not the kind of play. I don't I don't basically never invest in story stocks that are like this. So not an not an expert on on playing mm -hmm. that trade, but there is a way to play it. It's sociological. So it's titanium, it's critical minerals, it's low cost, low carbon titanium technologies. Like I'm sure this has come up before, but this is the thing, isn't it, Luke? Is there's just such a long runway before it's commercialized, before, you know, it's it's in market essentially. Yeah, yeah. I'd actually never heard of this one, Nadine, but it's not small, 400 real market cap. Um, you're right. It was a little bit confusing trying to find out exactly what they were doing, but as best I can tell is they, they've got a, a got a mine or, or a tenement, I should say. There's nothing in production yet um, of, of titanium and some other metals. But then I guess more importantly is looking to shift upstream into um, some, some you know, um, novelty IP around titanium production mm -hmm. different to the carbon intensive way it's done normally. Now, I agree with Claude pretty much everything he said. It's not my style of investing. You're very much at a narrative at this point in time before any fundamentals come through. But to be fair to Joyce, who sent in the question, the thing I would say is that when you're investing at this stage of the business, as long as you're aware of the speculation, that's fine. Um, but you've got to look for those more qualitative factors rather than the numbers which aren't there. And um, you know something like the US Department of Defense, who they said inspected their facilities and have provided them a $12 million loan, and the chairman buying substantially on market through his investment vehicle, they're two things that definitely give you that sort of qualitative confidence. Now, 
As for the valuation, I'm, I disagree with Claude. It's in the too hard basket for me. You'll need to do a lot more work into the product, the opportunity, the market. And even then, as you said, Nadine, the, the, the risks involved in bringing a large capital project to commercialization, uh, there's plenty of examples of, of businesses that didn't make it. So um, I'd avoid it for me personally. But what I would say to Joyce is that, you know, understand the speculation in, in a stock like this. And you're thinking about it the right way and those more qualitative factors to look for um, in, in the two examples she gave. So um, let, let's say avoid for the programs because it's, it's my opinion, but I, I actually, I, I like the way Joyce is thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. there's, no, there's a, no shade being cast whenever the stock that you guys have all picked and shown interest in is not chosen by our expert panels. There's so much that goes into it, including style of investing as well. But Joyce, yeah, keep doing your research. Keep uh, maybe even getting advice if you need it specific to that company and your financial circumstances, of course. Fifth stock on the list, Peer Profile. This has been picked by Benjo. PPL is the ticker code. Like it's it's sort of dual purpose. It's um, you can be part of the public. You can be answering these surveys online. You can be making money or you can be a business and you can you know conduct these surveys through Peer Profile and hopefully grow your business. Is this a company, you know, service, an online company that you would, a digital company, I should say, that you would invest in, Luke? Um, I've held this one in the past. I, I sold it a while back. And, and, and to be honest, I think the business, I won't say it's lost its way, but, but when I used to own it, it was sort of restructuring, had recapitalized. And there was a very simple thesis that, you know, margins were very much beaten down and you would see a recovery in those. And, and that played out quite strongly. And I think the business has probably stalled out a little bit over the last couple of years. They've spun off some segments in that sort of marketing space, as you said, Nadine, in the in the um, sort of um, uh, survey market for, mm-hmm. for businesses when they're inquiring about brands and, and public perception and things like that. Um, so, so that market's been a little bit tougher for them. Australia growth was flat, had some, some international growth. Um, but, but the thing that's sort of really, um, I won't say concerning, but, but it's, it's keeping me away from this business right now is I think they really need to tidy up the way that they're reporting to the market. Um, you know, they, they use EBITDA, which again, a lot of businesses do. I don't think we're ever going to change that despite, you know, Charlie Munger's best efforts. Um, but, you know, they were excluding share-based payments. They're now no longer doing share-based payments, but doing cash incentives instead, but adjusting out the cash incentives to give a like for like of what the share-based payments were. But it's a real expense anyway. It all just comes to a very complicated method of reporting. And I think the biggest issue you have is that when you drill through all that and you go, well, what cash does this business generate? The answer right now is is not much. It's still it's still slightly cash burning. So I would I would encourage investors if you're there or looking at this stock, you know, bear in mind it is small speculative. Um, look look right through the figures being provided by management, and that's that's good advice not just for Pure Profile but for plenty of businesses. Nadine, um, you know, look through the the glossy presentations and the and the acronyms and 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 metrics being put forward by management drill down to the P&L and more importantly, drill down to that cash flow. That's where you'll really see that the true health of a mm. business. And right now, pure profile, I just need to see that inflect back into cash flow positivity where they have been in the past, you know, a year or two ago. So um, look, I would, I would, I would maybe hold it if you're there. You know, it's, it's written its way down. I think there is a good underlying business there. Management's just got mm-hmm. to clean a few things up. And I, and I know the board's quite active in that as well. So there's a fair chance that actually happens. So let's say a hold for the program. But if you're on the sidelines, that's the key thing to look for is that cash. Got it. Thank you. And Claude, what do you think? Pure, pure profile. 
Look, I thought that Luke's answer was perfect, except for the fact that uh, I think it, I would sell it, not hold it. Uh, it doesn't seem mm-hmm. to. It's, look, it's not even the best of time. It's not a good quality business. Like even if it gets profitable again, uh, it's not a good quality business. It's been listed for many years. Yes, there's been parts that have come and gone to it, but this core business has been there. You know, essentially not creating a lot of value over time, and uh, essentially it's never going to be a high quality business. So it's the kind of business that might one day fetch i think 15 times actual net profit earnings so if it got to the point where there was where there was actual and, and that by the way is an optimistic case because whatever profit it's going to be it's always going to be up and down like it, it it's just because it grows one year doesn't mean it'll grow the next so uh overall i basically think it's a long way from being interesting uh, on you know luke covered all of those uh red flag kind of things little little things that come up that make you uh worry about it and on top of that, I would say uh, the CEO and the CFO recently sold shares. They put up an announcement about it uh, to give them their dues and said that uh, the share sales are f- to fund personal tax liabilities resulting from share-based remuneration payments relating to uh, long-term and short-term incentive programs. But you know, here they are selling shares on market of the ones that were backed out of the adjusted bit that they were you know, talking about in their presentation. So it is very funny. Uh, overall, judges, I would avoid it. Okay, thank you, guys. Look, uh, wet your whistles, have a bit of a break. Uh, non-alcoholic, of course, Claude, at this time of day. Um, let me <laughs> summarize the first five stocks and the stock of the day. So both of my guests say you should own some U.S. growth in your portfolios. They both do. Um but uh, we went on to talk about, I guess, a, a local listed, a couple local listed tech companies that worked quite nicely. Wise Tech Global, look, uh, it's a hold for Claude. He does like the global exposure. So if you're in it, hold it. But I think Luke um, would struggle to pay up for it at these levels. But he says it does benefit from that scarcity premium. So positive view overall, but they wouldn't be buying today. ProMedicus, it is one of the highest quality, it is the highest quality company on the ASX in Luke's, or in Claude's view. I think, I think Luke would also sort of agree. Um, Altium as well. And they would, um, Claude would hold that ahead of Wise Tech Global. It's a hold, I think, just because of where it is and in terms of price. And I think Luke recognizes that as well. He just says that it would be a struggle to buy it now as well. Lark, it's a sell for Luke, Claude. It just doesn't appeal, just not their type of investing. Again, that's the same um, story for Iperion X. And that is, uh, for Claude, just too hard to value the company. And Luke says it's just not his style either. Um, when it comes to pure profile, Luke says, show me the cash flow. And Claude says he'd sell just even if the cash flow did improve, even if changes were made. Uh, he just doesn't reckon it's a quality business, as you just heard. All right, our fund. So the fantasy portfolio picked by our investment committee. The latest episode is up online, but it's pretty much out date, isn't it? Um, that's because we've got a new one coming. We've got a new one coming next week. So wonder if any of those changes, will we retain that much of CSL? How about BHP? Well, so far our fund is up 20% on a cumulative return basis since its inception back in March, 2022. So not looking too bad, all things considered. Please keep sending in your requests. I know we get a lot. We try to get through them all and uh, we will put them to our guests here to find out what the investment committee will be discussing next. All right, coming up in this half hour, some of these I think we'll go through pretty quickly, but Big Tin Can, 
Galileo Mining, CZR Resources, Imagine Biosystems, and Adacel Technologies, ADA. All right, big tin can. Look, um, I'm just going to show my ignorance, but I did see the big tin can had a big move last week one day. I'm not sure what that was put down to. This is for Maria. Luke, I'm sure you've updated your view on big tin can, maybe not changed your opinion. What do you think? Yeah, well, look, it's it's an interesting conversation to pick up after what I just said about pure profile. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is another one where the gap between the metrics presented by management and the fundamental results of the business are, are quite stark. So uh, as an example, um, there was a $31 million operating loss, um, you know, uh, through the P&L. Um, but, but for management's point of view, it was an $8 million adjusted EBITDA when you strip out a lot of different things. Where, as I said before, the focus on that cash is, is the real key. And cash was also, I think, a $29 million loss, much more in line with the operating the operating numbers. So that's that sums up big tin can for me. The, the numbers have just never made sense. It's been rosy presentations and, and top-line growth. It's just never come through in the bottom line and, and particularly into the cash flow. Now, look, if you're there and you've ridden it down, I went back, I looked at their, their recent AGM update. Um, I'm not sure about the, the recent spike, Nadine, but I must say, at the AGM update, there is cause for some optimism. Now, I wouldn't be rushing out to buy a big tin can today. I think it's certainly one you can just leave on the sidelines and wait to see that turnaround happen. But management have said that they've got their operating costs from $35 million a quarter to $25 million a quarter, um, you know, moving forward. If that's accurate and revenue growth holds up, which bear in mind that for a lot of these businesses, when they pull back on that operating cost spend, you often see churn not being replaced at the top line and revenue comes down with it. So it often doesn't hit the bottom line as well as you'd expect. But look, if it does, they're guiding to about 130 mil revenue, you know, be run rating operating costs around 100 mil. I can see why someone would look at this today and say, if I believe management and the turnaround here, this looks really interesting. For me, I think given the past history, where we are today, it's an easy one to leave on the sidelines. Maybe keep it on your watch list for that potential turnaround. Um, but yeah, I, I can I can I can sort of see why there would be optimism if that if that sort of um, cost base um, stuff does come through into the operating numbers. Okay. Now, um, what do you make of Big Tin Can? I believe we've chatted about this before, Claude, and you didn't really consider it quality company. Has anything changed? Oh, no, nothing has changed. It's just, it's a funny thing, you know, once you've been looking at these kind of small caps for, for more than 10 years, like this one's actually been listed for a long time. I actually initially bought it at around 23 cents or something in, 20, in 2017. I subsequently realized that it's not a very good quality business and I, and I sold out fortunately at a profit. But the point is that it's very funny to see it below that original purchase price now all these years later. And obviously for a while I watched the stock go up and felt, oh, I'd been wrong to sell it. Um, but actually I think that all of the, th the, the financial aspects that Luke talked about, probably what I would connect that to is that the business that they're in is sales enablement software. So at its base level, you know, the, the jobs to be done here is, you know, a salesperson who could be selling anything uh, needs to have some sort of app that keeps all of the documentation and, and uh, stuff that they need uh, to uh, sell, sell whatever it is they're selling. So originally, I think some of the sales of Big Ten Can app was through like the Salesforce app marketplace, for example. So you can see it's like a very small kind of part of a bigger job to be done here. So that 
exposes you to becoming your product to become the feature of somebody who has that more sticky relationship. And that also, um, in this case, because I guess, you know, selling this might, there might be an app for selling this particular thing and an app for selling that particular thing. And they all start competing into each other's place. If once you did, you know, sort of what I realized with the sinking feeling eventually is once you actually research the industry they're in, it's super competitive. Uh, so add on the fact that, you know, the growth at least partially has come from acquisitions. So it's hard to, you know, get a clear view. Like organic growth is best for creating value because that's that's evidence of, you know, a business having an opportunity for high ROI investment in itself. Because if you've got that, you don't need to buy other things to get revenue. Mm -hmm. um, so lots of reasons that uh, it, I just, I would take it off the watch list. If you're doing, if I'm doing investing in small cap tech stocks, I'm actually trying to find that business that has the potential to become a high quality business. And I just don't think this will ever become a high quality business. It might be a little bit undervalued now and there could be a takeover offer at twice the price. And I'm not saying that the share price is definitely going to go down and it may indeed go up. But the strategy I'm, the reason I want to take the risk of investing in some speculative tech stock is because I think it might be mm -hmm. a quality business one day. And so once um, I realize it's never going to be that, then I'm never going to say buy on it. At best, you could argue it's a hold. Personally, I'd probably sell. I mean, there's potential takeover angle when things gets really low, though, so you could hold as well. But yeah, got it. That would be the best situation. Thank you. All right, Galileo Mining. This has been picked by Anto. So, Luke, would you buy into an exploration company, even if it does have some things like palladium, platinum, copper, nickel. I mean, what does it not have listed here? Cobalt. I mean, we know what's happened to the nickel price as well. So, you know, would you put Galileo Mining in any of your clients' portfolios? No, and I think you sort of touched on it there, Nadine. I mean, we're in an environment where IGO just put the Cosmos mine into care and maintenance, um, saying that they can't compete in the current nickel space. Now, um, I had a quick look at Galileo. As you said, there's a, a wide range of things, but primarily their biggest um, their biggest tenement is, is, is nickel uh, and copper. Um, and, and I think that share price chart pretty much sums it up. Um, they may have a, a good resource in the ground, but right now their their key uh, their key resources they're looking to target are really mm -hmm. struggling and there's some examples of much larger production peers um, who will have I'm sure a lower cost of, of production still struggling in this current environment um, with with Indonesian nickel in that particular example so uh, I'd let this one I'd let this one go through to the keeper if you're there look um, I would I would probably exit to be honest I'd sell this one they do have a bit of cash there's about 10 million cash in the bank so you know you, you're going to get through another four five six quarters maybe of, of of, um, of exploration and production. So they might strike something bigger, but again, I, I think the difficulty is, is even if they do, um, it's it's very difficult to see anything coming to production in this current environment, um, even for someone, a larger acquirer who, who may have the capital to do it. So um, this is one I, I, I would be looking to exit. Yeah, you could see a lot of the enthusiasm there in the chart, Luke, when it, or Claude, I should say, you know, critical minerals, all of the buzzwords were getting the market very excited in relation to Galileo. Um, but you can see how quickly that can change, right, Claude? Yeah, look, I think this kind of explorer kind of thing, again, you have to view it through the speculative sociology kind of angle. Uh, that's what's controlling the share price. Nobody really knows what the you know sum total of the free cash flows of this company possibly could be because there's just way too many variables with in, in, insane range of range of outcomes. 
Uh, so it's just pure speculation. It's really hard to look. I, I just don't partake in it. I try not to use the, the share price as a, a pure speculation tool. Now, maybe there's a, some sort of thesis that can be built for it, but I can't see mm -hmm. it. So it would be a sell for me. Okay. Well, could we just compare and contrast then to CZR resources? This has been picked by David because uh, we know what the price of iron ore has been and is. Now, will it likely stay there? No, is the short answer. Um, but, uh, you know, the reality is a CZR is an iron ore, which is used every day, every day all around the world. And um, it just recently, I think it was about three, three weeks ago, it did sell, um, yeah, some of its assets in the Pilbara. So it's made some money on that. Um, is CZR the type of company that you would rather, if that was your style of investing, put money into, uh, Claude? Yeah, look, I think it's easier to see. Uh, I think that the thesis for um, CZR would be sort of like what you would generously call a workout. They said uh, they've got an agreement to sell the Robe Mesa iron ore project for $102 million. And, the, the, and then they say the price combined in a binding agreement to sell is equal to 43 cents per CZR share, representing a substantial premium to the CZR's market capital, um, capitalization. So I think you've got a clear you've got a clear little thesis, right, with this one. Yes, it is still a speculation, but you like, look, they're saying this is that now I haven't checked all the, done a due diligence on it myself in terms of whether this thing will go through, but they clearly, that would be your thesis, is that this this will indeed go through. You'd have to make a judgment about the risks of that. And then, and then somehow that value will make it back to be as a shareholder. And um, that, is definitely plausible and you do see that happen. So I don't, I wouldn't, I'd be ready to say like buy, jump into this kind of situation myself right now. There's uh, a few too many moving parts, but uh, you could honestly just have a speculative buy thesis that at least makes sense, which is that it's like a workout. They're going to do these transactions. It's going to have a ton of cash and somehow that will cause a re-rate of the share price. It could be that they just announced they're going to do some sort of capital management, pay some back or they've got a new investment or whatever it is that changes the story uh that said it's not a it's not one that i know well enough to want to do that kind of speculation so i would i would just probably hold it if i was in but stay out of it otherwise okay luke a uh, different proposition than galileo to you yeah yeah plenty of cash is the difference in the day i mean like i said galileo about 10 mil it gives them a little bit of a runway but but you know as a market participant you know at some point they will be coming to tap you on the shoulder um, CZR, um, they've got two other tenements that they're looking to to explore and potentially develop. But with 100 mil in the bank, they've got plenty of scope to do that. And I agree with Claude. I, I wouldn't expect it, but there's probably um, some some space in there for a small capital return for, for shareholders who you know might have been there for a while and it'd be a nice reward for um, you know what, what appears to be a good sale of the asset. So um, agree with Claude. Like as a standalone investment, it's not for me in that sort of speculative resource explorer. But if you were to put it up against um, um, uh, Galileo, which we just spoke about, or, or uh, you know, <laughs> literally thousands of others on the mm, ASX. Yeah. Um, this is the sort of thing I would I would sort of lean to because from a capital point of view, you've just got much more certainty that you're not going to be diluted by management, and they do have a runway to 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 drill and explore and potentially bring that news to market that you'd be looking for. So um, I agree with Claude. I think it's a hold if you're there, and again only for the speculative investor who understands what this is. Um, you know, this is still a resource explorer at heart, even though it's got the, the, the backing of the cash. 
Um, but if that's what you're after, this is something that could be interesting. Cool. All right. Thank you. All right, let's get to the ninth stock on the list, guys. Imagine Biosystems, IBX. This has been picked by Kevin, so in the medtech space, looking to develop technology that will allow for the earlier detection of cancer. Um, So, Luke, does this one have something? Uh, You know, obviously it's still in trials uh, when it comes to some of the technology. You know, does it have something that you think will be commercially viable and therefore a good investment? It could, Nadine, but I, I doubt we'll ever find that out in its current vehicle. So this is a sell for me. Um, now, we can't give personal advice, so you know, I'll just go through the facts of this business, which, which right now it's a $3 million market cap with $200,000 cash in the bank. Hmm. And, and I suppose the most alarming thing is they do have a funding facility, but if you look at the, um, you know, you have to dig into the third page of their recent quarterly report, the fine print to that is that the current share price is below the floor price of that funding facility, so they're unable to access it. Um, management had a comment that said they're trying to raise capital right now, but if they can't, essentially the business is a going concern. So uh, this, is a, this is a sell for me. Like I said, we can't give personal advice, but this is a business who, if it can't raise capital, you've got management telling you as a shareholder that it will likely end up in administration. And okay. there's a lot of headaches dealing with a stock that's in administration, delisted and whatnot. So if I'm a shareholder who's there, I would like to save myself those headaches and just probably get out at whatever price I could. The facts don't lie, do they, Claude? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing much I can really add to that. Like the the relevant parts uh, of the bottom of the quarter, they essentially just running out of cash right now. So definitely living on borrowed time. And we'll see what happens in terms of what is the value of it. You, you know, it's anyone's game. Like the reality is that um, there's there's like, it'll be, it may end up just being a shell company that gets like, <laughs> comes back to the boards with some other business in a few years, or it may manage to raise capital and keep the story going. But if they do raise capital, you know, you, it's still going to be super high risk from that point onwards. So I think you could just get out of it. Sell, sell, sell. And the last is Adacel Technologies, ADA, for Kevin. I don't know a lot about this one. Um, Maybe I'll start with you, Claude. Yeah, right. So this is one that I actually have followed for quite a few years as well. And this is my, um, so I own it at the moment. Uh, Essentially what it does is it does uh, simulator software. So when for for pilot training and also some, air tower software, uh, not so, not for pilot training, for air controller training, but mm-hmm. I mean, and also air controller software. So not the pilots, the people that, you know, direct the pilots, you know, where to land on what runway and when it's safe to do so. Um, so what happened a few years ago is it was a few years ago, uh, maybe if we get the five-year chart, it'd be interesting, but uh, essentially it was a more profitable company back then. Do we have the five-year guys? It, and Anyways, it lost a it lost a um yeah so it it, ha- it was uh anyway it was previously profitable it lost a big contract with the faa the the short version of the thesis for why i own it is that they've won back uh this large contract and that should put them in a position to return to some you know proxy of where their profitability was before or maybe even grow beyond that uh, so I'm basically guessing that in a company that is not your perfect high quality software company, but is uh, nonetheless uh, a, a decent business, I basically think that we could see a, a few years of improving profits as this big contract that it's won comes online. And uh, if that's correct, then I'll, I'll I'm, I think that the share price will, will increase. 
uh, and that I'll probably then sell because I don't necessarily think that this is a company that has had an easy enough time growing. The problem is when you have these big contracts that you can win or lose and it has a massive impact on your profit, that means you have powerful customers. So that doesn't put you in really that high level of uh, the best kind of software companies with sticky recurring revenue. Uh, but at, at the same time, there is clearly an element of resilience because you know, despite the fact that they, they fell into loss, this company is still continued and, and looks like it's won back this contract now, which does potentially impri- imply a recovery. So I'm looking for profit to improve over the next couple of years and we'll see if that comes about or not. Okay. But, but that's the thesis for why I own it. So that's a hold. Okay. Uh, Luke, would you be buying this today? Oh, no, I call it a buy. Oh, buy. I, I Sorry. It, I bought it at similar prices and I may well buy more shares in this depending on how it's um half first half results come in. I'm not expecting anything great in the in the upcoming results yeah. because you won't have had the effect of the big contract yet, but it's that big contract they announced not that long ago, like at the AGM, there was uh, he was talking about it. Uh, that's what's got me interested. Good. Okay. Luke, how about you? Would you buy at a sell today? Add sell. Um, no, add a sell. Yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have done. I, I don't own it, but like Claude, it's one that I uh, I have owned in the past actually, and and have kept an eye on it. Um, it is a, it's look, I think it's a decent little software business, but but I, everything Claude said is spot on. Um, you know, that's still very much uh, bound to, to contracts. They have won and lost them in the past, um, but generally speaking, it, it is sticky once you're in there, and they they won back the the, the US uh, the contract they lost a few years ago. Um, the only reason I don't own it, to be fair, and I've got it on my like very tight watch list, um, you know, something I'm really interested in, is um, at the AGM they gave guidance, which roughly translates to somewhere around three mil NPAT on, a, on an Aussie level when you they, they gave it in US dollars, which they primarily earn in. Um, so it trades on, you know, on on that number probably about 23, 24 times. But Claude's spot on. I mean, this is this is a very accretive contract, or the potential to be a very accretive contract with the US. Um, Twelve million bucks a year, um, roughly, on a you know business that's done twenty-seven mil revenue the last two years. So you'll be looking at some some very strong revenue growth, and depending on how that's split between their segments and and obviously the, um, the the terms of the contract itself, should flow through nicer to profitability. So. I am on the sidelines, but realistically, the only reason why is waiting for this upcoming half-year report, there should hopefully be one month of the FAA contract. Now, I agree with Claude, you won't see that in these numbers, but what you might see is just some commentary from management. How's that progressed? How's it looking? And maybe the confidence to come out and upgrade that full-year guidance, knowing the second half will have the contribution from the FFA, which they didn't have when they first gave that guidance. So, Agree with Claude. I think this is a nice little speculative buy for um, you know micro small cap investors. Um, but I do agree with him. It's probably not one you buy and then you know put in your bottom drawer for ten years. Um, it, it it has that history. But but I I completely agree mm-hmm. that the next probably three four uh, maybe five years will be strong underpinned by that key contract. Well, great. I didn't think we'd get there, but we do have a double buy. For this program, we had to wade through a couple of companies that guys weren't very favorable on to get there. And look, I'll admit, the guys and I chatted before the program, and they were keen to talk about Atura. And I'll just briefly go into this one because it has reiterated its full year guidance. It's expecting pretty strong first half FY24 earnings growth. So is this is this a buy? So that's Atura, A-T-A is the ticker code. Luke? I'll, I'll yeah. let Claude go. I, okay. I don't own a tour, but I know right. he does. Go ahead. 
Clive? I'll, I'll, I was just going to jump in because I actually own Atura, but it's as a result of the fact that Atura purchased another company that I own shares in. So I own shares in Sirius Networks and mm. I just took the default option, which meant that some of my consideration was in Atura shares. Um, actually, I've just realized it makes my tax more confusing for me. So I wish I didn't do that, but um, I did it and now I own Atura shares and I'm not selling them yet because... I, I don't have any particular affinity for the business. It doesn't look obviously super cheap to me, but there is a strong heuristic in favor of it. It has a high insider ownership. It, it has currently doing a capital raising at 80 cents, uh, which those insiders are, are supporting. And what's more, um, this is a roll-up strategy that has uh, currently got, you know, its share price trading at a higher premium, you know, to its earnings than what it can buy other similar managed IT service companies for. And roll-ups generally don't grow to the sky. But if you get them early enough when they're still small enough that they can actually buy enough incremental earnings and benefit from that uh, private market or even other just smaller public market, as is the case with Cirrus, like small microcaps have a lower multiple and then they buy it and get a higher multiple. So if it can do that for just a couple of years more, I still I think it'll probably do well from the current price. So um, whilst I haven't yet built conviction around it, because as you can imagine, that roll-up story is not the thing that I really like search for every day. I do think that it probably has a bit of juice in it. So I'm holding on. Okay. All right. So that was a bit of a bonus coming from Claude. Luke, anything, you know, now we've got the four seed dust settling that you're, you know, you're particularly keen on now. Sorry to put you in the hot seat, but ah, I don't mind. Oh, I can I can uh, talk talk no matter what I'm doing. Um, look, I will talk my book, and I'll keep it tech. Um, one of my holdings, Prophecy International, had an update yesterday, oh, yeah. which I thought was very Saw strong. That. Yeah, um, they had a weak quarter um, in the first quarter, so keep in mind that a strong second quarter maybe just be a little catch up from that. But thirty um, percent revenue growth and and a, a nice bounce back in the ARR after it sort of flatlined in that first quarter. So um, forty five mil market cap, ten mil cash, and about twenty five mil ARR now and Fingers crossed. I think they'll be about break even this year, but you really should see that tech software leverage come through in FY25. So I had that one as a Christmas cracker last year, mm -hmm. which um, I was a year early on that. So, um, you know, 2024, hopefully the year of uh, prophecy. All right, guys, thanks so much. We got a double buy. We got a couple bonuses to consider. And uh, we got to talk about Prometicus as well. So... <laughs> Happy days for us all. And it's a Friday, hey? How about that? I hope you guys have a really good weekend. Get out and enjoy the weather and your little families as well. Luke Winchester, Meriwether Capital, Claude Walker, a Rich Life. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for have having me. Weekend. Thanks for listening. And uh, just uh, to reiterate what we learned in that past half hour, I'll keep it very brief. Big tin can, not quality in Claude's view. Um, Luke, it would be not a buy either uh, when it comes to Galileo mining. It's a bad chart. You sell it, says Luke. Claude says it's way too specky. Sees it our holdings. Well, Luke says at least it's got some cash in the bank. Um, and when it comes to Imagium Biosystems, both my guys said, like, if you're in it, sorry, but you've got to sell. Um, not financial advice, but it's really, you know, it, it, there's questions over whether or not it's a going concern. And add a sell. It is a Specky buy from both of my guests. And then it was a tour that we talked about it at the end and prophecy. So I'll put those ticker codes up online. Please do keep your requests coming in. We're very happy to cover them. We'll get to them all eventually. Stay with us. We've got the best of the pulse coming up next.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 